Go ahead and pull out your Bible. Take something out to take notes with. Anybody been here for any of the Do Not Hold Back series? I hope you're encouraged and excited. I'm not going to lie. It feels like everybody's looking at me like, why did you stop the music? What are you doing up there? We're going to get to it at the end. There's some more. And uh, I'm, I'm encouraged. And just what God was even doing in the last few minutes, I think it really is uh, paving the way for what he wants to do through the word that he wants to share with us today. I was just thinking during worship, I thought, wow, Jesus, you sure know how to make an entrance. You sure know how to get done what you want to get done. And uh, I hope that it lands on all of us. Are you ready to receive a word from God? Good. Uh, we have been doing a series this month called Do Not Hold Back. Do not hold back. And every year we ask God as a church and a leadership team, and we say, God, is there any specific thing that you would speak to us as a church to guide us this year? And we shared uh, the first week of this year that we felt like the Lord was sharing the phrase, do not hold back out of Isaiah 54. We believe that God is inviting each and every one of us individually and, each, and us as a church into more, more of the kingdom, more of his presence, more of his power, more of his love, more into the things that he's called us to. And his instruction to us isn't just go pull it off and not stuff. He's just saying, I want to do it. It's going to be awesome. So your role is just don't hold back. Just let me do my thing. And I'm encouraged about that. And we uh, got excited the first week. And I, I hope you got fired up. And the, the last two weeks and this week has been about, okay, let's not just get excited about it and shout about it in January and then get to December and realize, what was that one sermon series again that I was excited about? I want to live this thing out for the whole year. Amen? Because if God's speaking it, it means he, uh, he means it which is encouraging. And so we've been talking the last couple of weeks, okay, if we're gonna not hold back, if we have to be told that, then it must be that our tendency is to hold back. Uh, if we have to be told not to do something, it must be because it's our tendency to do that thing. Anybody have kids? All right, so we know what we're talking about, especially those. So what are the things that are gonna make us hold back? And the first week we talked about that God's not after our behavior, but he's after our beliefs because our behavior follows our beliefs. And if we're gonna behave by not holding back, then we need to adjust some beliefs we have that make us hold back. One of those being the belief that I'm not ready. That's great, God. That's great you wanna do that, but I'm not ready. And that's gonna make you hold back if you believe that this year. Last week we talked about, okay, cool, God, that's great that you want to do that thing, uh, that you want to do something through me, but I don't know what to do. If I knew what to do, I would love to do it. I don't know what to do. We talked a message, preached a message last week called The Concept of Calling. Anybody get clarity and freedom last week? So encouraging. This week, I want to deal with the belief, the lie that is going to hold you back this year, and that is I don't have what it takes. I'm not ready. I don't know what to do, and I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the time for what God's calling me to. I don't have the gifting for what God's calling me to. I don't have the energy. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the capacity. There's something that God's asking me to do. I would love to do it, but I don't have what it takes to do that thing. It's going to hold you back if you believe that about yourself this year. And I think that by the looks on your faces, you're looking at me like, yeah, I do believe that. What's the problem? Which means we're headed on the right track. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to read um, a chunk of verses, and then, yeah, we're going to get through something in this abbreviated time, and I believe God's going to do awesome things. 
Matthew 25, we're going to read a parable. Jesus is sharing a story, and he's, it's in a series of parables. And what that means is that Jesus would tell these stories, and he would, he would kind of make them up, and he would use kind of everyday things that we did understand to illustrate spiritual truths about the kingdom of God that maybe aren't so easy to understand. So these parables, he's, he's prefaced, most of, most of the time he would preface his parables by saying something like, the kingdom of heaven is like... And then he would tell this story. Or the kingdom of God is like, and he would share this story. So it's not a historical event that he's talking about. It's an illustration he's giving to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. Are you ready for a parable this morning? He says this. So for the kingdom of God is like this, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, a talent was a, a, a chunk of money. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had the, received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master had answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, excuse me. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Starts off cool, ends rough. It's a parable of a master giving three of his servants some money, and then he returns to get back what he had given to them. Two of the servants did some very similar things with what they had been giving, uh, or what they had been given. They did similar things. They saw similar results, and they got very similar responses from their master. The one who had two went to four. The one who had five grew theirs to ten. Different values of what they had been giving. They had been given kind of different values overall, but they did similar things, and they got the same answer. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. One guy takes his little bit of money that he had been given and decides to do nothing with it and returns it to the master and gets a very different response in the end from the two who put what they got to work. So this parable, it's about a guy who's got some money and he gives three of his servants some of this money. But it's not about that at all, right? It's a parable. It's a parable. It's not about a guy and some money. That's not what this is about. Jesus tells us, like I said, this is about the kingdom of God, what it's like and, and how it works. It's a, this, this parable is not about a guy and his money. It's about God. It's about God and it's about you. And it's about this treasure that he has given to you. 
a treasure that he has given to you that, that was his, but he has given to you called your life. This parable is about God and it's about you and it's about your life. I want to preach a message to you this morning simply titled, Your Life Matters. Your life matters. What's going to mobilize you when you believe I don't have what it takes? It's not going to be like positive thoughts or good vibes or ideological optimism that's going to pretend like you don't have the things that you don't actually have. That's not what's going to mobilize you when God calls you and you say, that'd be great, but I don't have what it takes. It's not just going to be positivity. What's going to mobilize you is understanding that God isn't asking you for what you don't have. One and a half people wrote that down. Somebody did this and looked right back up. There's no way you did that in that time. God's not asking you for what you don't have. When you tell God, that's great, but I don't have what it takes. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not like this. I'm not like that. Like, he's not surprised. He knows. He knows. And, and, it, and if you let what you don't have, if what you don't have is holding you back from what you know God is calling you to in your life, if what's, what's, what you don't have is holding back the time that you don't have, the energy you don't have, the money you don't have, the resource you don't have, the ability you don't have, I'm not gonna stand up here and preach a message and tell you, no, you have all of those things. You have that thing you don't have. I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you you're wrong. I'm just telling you you're missing the point. You're missing the point. What you don't have is not the point. In this parable, it's pretty clear that uh, two guys did well with what they had been given and one did not. Did we all catch that part? There might have been some other things that there's some question marks about, but I'd say that's pretty clear, pretty obvious. So what I want to talk about this morning is uh, I want to be one of the two, <laughs> personally. I want, to do, I want to be one of the two. And so what I want to do briefly is look at these two guys, look at what did they do that helped them do well? Because whatever they did, I want to emulate that. I want to replicate what they did because I want to do well. Like good and faithful servant, ruler, yeah, like that. I like that. I like that part a lot more than the other part. So instead of worrying so much about what was wrong with this one, let's go after what was right about the two and let's just start doing that. Amen. Could I preach to anybody about not worrying about what everybody else is doing wrong and maybe worry about what you can just do right? Maybe I could preach about that, but I'm not going to. The first thing I want to tell you that these guys did right, they had a perspective, and I want you to write this down, they had a perspective of stewarding, not spending. Stewarding, not spending. They had the right perspective of their treasure. They saw it for exactly what it was, a gift. It was a gift. It says this in verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to one he gave, to the other he gave, to another he gave, the master gave. They saw that what they had had been given to them, and what had been given to them, they saw that it was given to them to steward, not to spend. This treasure they had been given was to steward, not to spend. Their perspective of being a steward versus being a spender, it's a very countercultural perspective. I think it's extremely relevant to us today. This attitude of looking at the life that you have as something to steward versus something to spend is very countercultural. My guess is that most of us, if you're anything like me, again, this series I've been saying, maybe this whole series is just for me. But, but you're here, so we're just going to all do this together. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's most of us. But I think that most of the time, most of us see ourselves as spenders more than stewards. 
And this is how you know if you're seeing yourself as a spender versus a steward. See, being a spender is going to hold you back. You're going to hold back if you're a spender because you can only spend what is yours, right? Like, as much as I would love to, I can't spend your money versus mine, right? Like, you can only spend what is, what is yours. And, and this attitude of a spender is, is where it comes, where we get really possessive and we start just saying, like, a lot of things, like, it's my life, right? Like, it's mine. This is my life. So don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what to do with my life. Don't tell me what not to do with my life. God is cool and all, but don't let God tell me how to live my life. Church is great. I'm glad you believe this. I'm glad you think that. That's cool for you, but don't tell me how to live my life. I don't have a problem with what you think until it encroaches on me and my life and my opinions and my decisions. Morals are cool. Morals are cool. But don't let your morality tell me how to live my life. Your opinion is great, but don't let it affect my life. It's my life. And I'm not standing up here saying, you don't have a life. That'd be really dumb because we're all here, like living, breathing. We have a life, right? Everybody say, I have a life. I have a life. Yes, you have a life. I'm not saying you don't have a life. Not at all. I mean, to each he gave. They had talents. They had money. And, and we could go around the room and we could point to every individual, one of you, rightly, and say, you have life. You have a life. It's clear you have a life. And it's yours, but it's yours to manage. Everybody say, it's mine to manage. I'm not saying it's not yours. I'm saying it's yours to manage. It's mine. My life is mine but it's mine to manage. It's mine to steward, not mine to spend. And the second thing about being a spender is that it's, it's going to hold you back because spending is driven and circulates around everything you don't have. Every time you spend money, it reminds me of what you don't have. You're spending the money because of what you don't have, and you probably wish you could get a nicer one of whatever it is that you're buying, but you don't have the money for the nicer one, so you got that one, right? Okay, wow, I'm the only one. Okay, this is just me. When your life is yours to spend instead of yours to manage, it's similar to seeing the car that you got but not the car that you wanted or the pair of shoes that you got but not the pair of shoes that you wanted. It's similar to that when you see your, your life as something to spend because when God asks something of you, all you can think about is the time you don't have for that thing. All you can think about is the capacity you don't have for that thing, the know-how you don't have about that thing. Because like, like you walk by the store and you want to buy that thing, the price tag reminds you you don't have that. And that's how we treat the call of God. is like God's asking something of us and all we see is the price tag. And we see what it's going to take from us. And not just what it's going to take from us, but what it's going to take from that other thing that we are giving that thing to, that time to, that capacity to, is taking from us and just reminding me that I don't have what you say you need from me, God. You hold back because you don't have what it takes. And, and this, this translates really practically into your life. I mean, again, this could just be me, but it's easy to get stuck into the trap of thinking about all that you don't have, all that you can't do. Like, I can't be a great dad. You start thinking that, like you swirl into that because I can't do the vacations that other people can do. I can't be at home at the same time as other people can be. I don't get to do, like, I, I can't do any of that, so therefore, like, I can't, I can't be a great dad. I could hopefully be, like, a decent one, but not a great one. I can't be a great husband because I, I can't go on fancy dates like other people. I can't pay for a house like that other guy can pay for a house. I can't be a great husband. God's wanting me, God wants me to be a good husband. Well, look at what I don't have. I can't pull that off. I can't be a good Christian. Like when they extend worship and some people are really into that, like I can't get into that. 
Like, I, I, can't, I can't jump up and down and raise my hands and shout down the preacher. Like, I, I, that's not me. Like, I can't do that. I can't pray very much. I can't give very much. Like, I can't be a very good Christian. I can't do that. But verse 15 goes on. He says, to each he gave, to one he gave five, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Underline that in your Bible. To each according to his ability. I want to ask you this morning, what would happen if the only filter you had in your life, when God asked something of you, when you saw something you wanted to be, something you wanted to do, something that you had ambition for, what if the only thought was, what can I do? What, what, what can I do? I can't do all of that, but what, what can I do? When God wanted to give a widow in the Old Testament some more oil, he didn't ask her to do anything with oil she didn't have. He asked what she could do with the jars that she did have. When he asked the disciples to feed 5,000 people, he didn't ask them to do with anything they didn't have. He just said, bring me the five loaves, the two fish that you do have, and let's do this. He didn't ask Moses to go set the people free with anything he didn't have. He said, what's in your hand, Moses? A staff? I'll use that. What do you have? Let me see what you do have. God wants to work with what you do have. He's not asking about you to use what you don't. God's not asking for what you don't have, and we get so immobilized because we think that faith, you know, we faith. Yeah, like let's get hyped when we talk about faith and we think that faith has everything to do with God asking us to do stuff we can't do. That's not faith. We have another word for trying to do things that you can't do. It's called failure. There's a word for that. Faith is stepping out and doing what you can do, not worrying about what you can't. The faith was bringing the five loaves and the two fish instead of piecing out. Faith is doing what you can do. Don't let the time you can't spend with your kids keep you from stewarding the time you can spend with your kids. Don't let what you can't do in your marriage keep you from what you can do in your marriage. Don't let what you can't do for God keep you from what you can do for God. You can't pray 60 minutes, that's fine. Can you pray one? I know you can't, like, you can't worship and get all, all excited and all that stuff, but can you stand up? Like, can you sing? Can you do what you can do? Can you do what God's asking you? Can you? Yes, you can do what you can do. That's because you can do it. You can do it. God's asking you to steward your life according to your ability. Oh, my goodness. How wound up are you? Maybe it's just me looking at everybody else and everything they're doing that I can't do. And since I can't do what they can do, I'm not going to do what I can do because it's not as big as what they can do. To each according to his ability. God's asking you to do what you can do. Don't worry about what you can't. Understanding that I'm a steward, this is what gets me going personally in my, in my life with God. This is the thing that gets me off the ground. Can I tell you that this church almost never happened because I didn't know, I didn't know if I could do what God was asking me to do. I thought I couldn't do it. I remember months praying, fasting God. We were so clear God was asking us to do this. And finally one morning I'm spending time with God. I'm like, God, what if I'm no good at this? He said, I didn't ask you to be good at it. <laughs> oh, so I can just go do it? Yeah, just go do it. What can you do? What can you do? Their stewardship perspective led them to the action of investment. Investment. 
investment. Investment, verses 16 through 18, it says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. The two that succeeded went and worked. They put it to work. They didn't dig it down and bury it. There's something we say a lot around here. If you've been around for any length of time, you've probably heard it. You're going to continue hearing it. And that is this, that salvation is an invitation, not a destination. Salvation is an invitation, not a destination. And this new life that you have been given through the grace of Jesus, by the filling of the Holy Spirit, like it's not just to get you to heaven someday. It's not aimed at your destination. It is an invitation to invest into heaven right now. Your life is an invitation, an invitation to invest. And God has rigged the system for you. God has rigged the system. He's made it so that your stewardship behaves like investment. It's rigged. It's rigged. When you start doing what you can, you're going to start seeing that you start doing what you can't. Because stewardship is faith. Doing what you can do is faith. And faith is funny because it's like a mustard seed. Of the smallest, it's the smallest seed of the bunch. But you plant it, and all of a sudden it starts to grow. And it becomes a whole like mustard tree bush shrub thing. And all of a sudden, that one little seed, now it's where birds can come in and build their nests. And other things can come and find their shade. And it starts producing fruit. And it says in the Bible, the mustard seed, he says, it's, it's like your faith is like a mustard seed. It grows and all of these things start to happen. It transforms the whole garden. Transforms the whole garden. Faith is like, it's like a little bit of leaven that a woman takes and she starts putting it into a big old loaf. And she starts working it. And that little bit of leaven works through the whole loaf. That's what faith is like. Faith, faith is like uh, you, you can't move mountains, but faith can move mountains. Like you're going to start realizing if you do what you can do, you're going to start doing what you can. Because stewardship is faith. Invest what you do have. Invest what you do have. Don't worry about what you don't. Now I want to get you hyped up to do the next thing God's called you to do, but two things you need to know. Investments take two things. Every good investment takes two things. It takes what you do have right now, right? Like you can't invest what you hope to have one day, what you wish you did have. or all, you, What do you have? Let's invest what I do have. Can you give what you do have? Okay, we can do that. But the second thing, the hard part, number one, give it what you have. And number two, give it some time. Give it some time. I heard somebody say one time, give God at least as much time as you gave the devil. And I thought that was good, so I'd say it now. Give what you do have. Invest what you do have. Give what you have. Give it some time and see if your two doesn't become four. See if it doesn't. See if your five doesn't become ten. See if, see if your bitterness doesn't become forgiveness. See if your mourning doesn't turn to joy. See if your discouragement doesn't turn to courage. See if your disappointment doesn't turn to faith. See what happens. See if it doesn't. See if it doesn't. Give it what you have and give it some time. Because God can do a little with a lot. I was talking to a friend recently. He's working through some different things. He's trying to make some better decisions in his life. And I would text him and say, hey, man, how's it been? And he's like, man, it's been a good two weeks. I've been clean and sober all these things for two weeks. I was like, man, that's so exciting. I can't wait for that to be two years. You know, and he said, he texted me back, well, yeah, yeah, man, we'll see. Time will tell. And he was in the hospital, but I about mugged him through the phone. 
It's like, don't let time tell you anything. We'll see. Why don't you tell time what's going to happen? Like, I don't want to just see if, like, I'm going to stumble into the good decisions and the things that God's called me to. I don't need time to tell me that. I'm going to tell time exactly what I'm about to do. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to put myself before God. I'm going to step into the things that God's called me to. I don't need to wait for time to tell me anything. Obviously, there's tons of circumstances that are out of my control, and time will tell certain things, but time doesn't tell me who I'm going to be. Time doesn't have to tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to say yes to the things of the kingdom. I'm, not gonna, I'm going to be clean and sober in two years because I'm going to be, because I'm going to tell those two years you're going to be clean and sober years. I don't need time to tell me anything. Invest your life. You are in control of your decisions. Don't, don't, don't abdicate your life to, to time to tell you what's going to happen. Don't hope you stumble into what God's calling you to. Let me save you a few years down the road. You won't. You won't. You won't. Unless you do. And you can. Invest your life. When I see each moment of my life as an investment, Knowing I'm a steward is what gives me, gets me going. But knowing that, 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 that my life is an opportunity for an investment, that's what keeps me going. That's what, that's what keeps me going because I may not be able to do everything, but I can always do something. I can always do something. And sometimes I feel so small, but I don't want to let what I can't do keep me from what I can. I can always do something. I can invest this moment. Servants who did the best with what they had, they knew they were stewards of what they had. They knew that what they had was for investing. And in the end, they knew that they would give it all back. I want to write down, you'd write down return. Return. The two who did it right knew that what they had was going to be given back. In the end, your life doesn't just end. You get this incredible opportunity of giving it back to the one who gave it to you. Your life matters. Your life matters. We're, we're, we're going to give our lives back to Jesus. He, he, he's, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginning and the end. He, he is life. This life I have, yeah, it's mine, but it's mine to manage. It belongs to my master. And I'm going to give it back to him in the end. There, and there's, there's not going to be any question in that moment, which is the question of today and even this week. Is does life matter? Whose lives matter? Jesus settled that. Jesus settled whose life matters when he himself took on skin and bone and gave up his life so that he could redeem every single life. Like if you're a Jesus follower, you get no opinion to the question of whose life matters. Black, blue, red, brown, white, red, green, young, old, rich, poor, they all matter. Yes. Yes is the answer. Does so-and-so lives matter? Who's like, yes, they do. You don't get an opinion about that because we're, if you're a follower of Jesus, because you're following Jesus. And he answered that question loud and clear on a cross. Your life matters. This isn't about the value of your life. This is about what are you gonna do with your life? What are you gonna do now with what you have been given? It's a gift. It's a gift in your life. It matters. The only question in the end, when you stand before Jesus, it's not, if you've given your life to Jesus, it's not this question of salvation, it's not this question of value, it's just the simple, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? This life, this life, this temporal 
life. That if you're anything like me, so easy to minimize my life. It's so easy to hold back my life. It's so easy to see how I'm not ready. It's so easy to, to, to think that I don't know what to do. It's so easy to wonder if I have what it takes. Your life matters. It matters. And this is amazing. This is amazing. And it sounds heavy, and it feels real heavy, but the heaviness that, that, that is so clearly in the room right now, the weight that you're feeling, is not a burden, it's the weight of freedom. It's the weight of freedom. It's the weight of opportunity. I'm not talking about your salvation, I'm talking about your invitation. This invitation that God has invested into you, this new life being born again given the righteousness of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's invested into you. Your life matters. Your choices right now, they matter. Your decisions, they matter right now. The actions of your life, they matter. The, 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 the way that you use your time, it matters. What you give your energy to, it matters. Your life matters. God hasn't just saved you by his grace. In his grace, he's given you a temporary life that matters for eternity. It is the grace of God. Your temporal stewardship, your little investments are setting you up for an eternal weight of glory. They're setting you up to stand before the king, to give back this little thing that he gave you and hear him say, well done, well done. Like that little decision that you made, that nobody was watching, nobody was listening. It was like, you know, the, the, the decision you made about like a nickel or whatever. Or like that little moment of kindness where your family member was really bugging you and you knew that a good Christian would do all of this, but you're like, not a good Christian, so I can only do that. And like, I'll look and smile, but I can't say hi and give a hug. He's like, hey, you looked and you gave a smile. Well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. Anticipating returning my life to Jesus, this is what gives me passion and gives me clarity along the way of my life. Stewardship gets me going, investment keeps me going, but it's this anticipation that gives me the passion and clarity for along the way. To know that I have the chance to live my life that in such a way that in that moment when it's over, and I stand before him that I could actually have something to give him of value to him. With just some decisions, just some stewardship, just a little bit of investment that, that he would care, that, that he would look at me and that and say, well done, like that's all it takes? That's it? To like, Give something of value to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe that he would look at my life. I can do that. When I'm working through a decision or need clarity on some things, I frequently wonder, I frequently go to that place in my mind. I imagine standing before Jesus. I imagine and saying, wow, I'm gonna have this moment to give to him some, at some point. And if, let's say, there's an A and B choice I'm working with, it, it brings me so much clarity to simply think, okay, I'm gonna look at Jesus. Which one do I want in that moment? 
makes most things a lot easier than they feel. Which one do I want? I'm not saying I know I'm right. I'm just saying at least this is my best. I did it according to my ability. It's freedom. This is good news, guys. Your life matters. Your life matters. It matters to Jesus. And it matters to the people in your life. Your life matters. Like I said, the gospel settles this question about whose life matters. There is no question for us to answer about the value or the merit of life. The only question is, are you going to hold it back? Are you going to hold your life back, worried about how not ready you are for what's in front of you, floundering because you think you don't know what to do, idle because you don't think you have what it takes? We are the church. We are the people of God, the living God loves you. The living God loves you, and he has poured out his life to forgive you, to heal you, to set you free, and fill you with his very spirit. He has adopted you as a child of his into his house and into his kingdom. He has commissioned you to be part of his purposes in the earth. He has put you where you are on purpose. He has made you who you are on purpose. He has given what he has given you on purpose according to your ability. And he is clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest and his hair. It's white like wool and his eyes are like flames of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze and his voice is like a rushing water. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. He died and he rose again and he has the keys to death and hell and he is speaking to you. He is calling you. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Strengthen your cords, lengthen your pegs. You know what to do. You're ready. You have what it takes. Do not hold back. I want you to stand up as we finish this series. We're going to make a declaration as we end this morning. I love the song the team picked. I love when they pick it without me knowing, and it works out great. It's a song called Build My Life. I'm gonna build my life on the love of God, on the power of God, on the word of God. I'm not gonna be consumed with who I'm not, with what I don't have, with what I can't do. I'm gonna steward what I have, invest what I have. I'm not gonna hold back. I'm gonna build my life on the presence of Jesus. And I don't know if you're thinking it, but I had chosen this title this week. There's been a message that's been on my heart. I've known for like a year. I've wanted to preach a message called Your Life Matters. I didn't know what exactly it was going to be about, but it was just something that God had planted in my heart. And this week, you know, or two weeks ago, I decided, okay, we're going to title this message, Your Life Matters, here's what's going to be about all this stuff. And then I think there's a lot of you that are probably thinking about it this week with legislation that's been passed about abortion in our country. It's just a consistent cultural question. Whose life matters? And it's a, it's a question that has to be engaged. But like I said, it's a question that is answered. And our role as the church is is yes to stand up and fight and declare whose life matters but the only way that we can actually make a difference is to realize that realize that our lives matter like we have something to do about it 
We have something to do. Let's not just fight for the answer of whose life has value. Let's use our life to bring lives value. Let's not use our life and waste our life worrying about what everybody else is not doing, what Donald Trump is not doing, what the right is not doing, what the left is not doing, what your friend didn't post on Facebook, what your friend did post on Facebook. Like, it doesn't matter what they did. Your life matters. What are you going to do? Like, we are the church, guys. We are the people of God. And this is our time. The time is now for us to stand above the fray, to look above at the bigger question, to stop arguing about the things that Jesus has already settled. Heaven's not asking whose life matters. Heaven is asking, what will you do with yours? You have an opportunity. Love people, love Jesus, and make disciples. Do not hold back. Let's see what God does this year with a little room full of people who just say, God, I'm in. I'm not going to get caught up in the stuff that doesn't matter. I'm not going to hold my life back. I'm not going to worry about where I'm not ready, what I don't know what to do, what I can't do. I'm going to do what I can do in the name of Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the time for you to not hold your life back. If you're here this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you hear about this new life that can be had today. One decision that matters. No matter what you've left behind, no matter what regrets you're carrying, you need to decide right now, what do you want to do with your life? You want to keep trying to do it on your own or you want to give it to Jesus? Give it to Jesus and let him do what he wants to do with you. We're going to have people over to the side like we always do to pray with you. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, make sure you talk to whoever you came with or come see somebody off to the side. Get set free today and let's start this new life. For everybody else, you need to make a decision right now. I believe I want to challenge you. Don't leave without making a decision. A decision about stopping to believe one of these lies. I'm not ready. I don't know what to do. Or I don't have what it takes. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come in. Give us the perspective of eternity. Standing before the throne saying you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it. If he's worthy of it all, let's make one decision right now. What can you do? What can you not hold back this year? Lord, we love you. We invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit into these moments together. Would you convict us? Would you speak to us, God? Would you mobilize us, God? I speak to every chain of lies that are holding us back. Be free in Jesus' name. You're ready. You know what to do. You have what it takes by the power of God. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Give us the courage to make the decisions that we need to make, that we can make, that matter in Jesus' name.